Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Logan campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Amen. 16 years ago last Sunday, our daughter Allegra was born. And, and I remember that day like it was just yesterday. I mean, 16 years has gone so fast, and I think that just means that I'm getting really old. But, you know, like, I, I remember 16 years ago, and I remember that day like it was just the other day. We'd had some minor complications leading up to that day, and so the, the decision was made that, that we were going to induce, or the, actually, I had nothing to do with it, like, the, the, the doctors were going to induce Shadi, and so... At 8 a.m., we drove into the hospital, and, and Shadi did a brilliant job, and, and it confirmed two things in me, how amazing our wives and the women are in our lives, but also how grateful I am to be a man. And, and, like I, and I remember the whole experience and going, you know what, my wife is amazing. And so I did leading up to that day, leading up to 8 a.m. that morning, I did everything that I could do to prepare myself, and that looked like this watching and remembering every movie that I could think of where someone gave birth to a baby. And I would re-watch them physically or I'd think about the stories in my head and I, would, and I would watch the husband in particular and I watched what they did. And I watched as they smiled, as they held their wife's hand and most importantly, they would say to their loving, caringly, to their wife, they would say, babe, just keep breathing. Just breathe in and breathe out. And so I remember in that morning, I remember, I remember holding my wife's hand and I remember trying to put a smile on. And I remember saying to Shadi at one point, hey, babe, just breathe in and out. You know what she did? She pulled her hand away. Don't you tell me how to breathe. I, I mean, I was the loving, supporting, caring husband. And that's all I had. That's all, that's all the movies did. And so I went, okay, what do I do? So I did what every loving, good, caring husband would do. I, I mean, let me clarify something. We weren't actually, like the baby wasn't being born at this moment, okay? I need to clarify the rest of the story with that important tidbit right there. So I remember at that moment, I thought, what I'm going to do is, Shadi's feet were cold. And so I went, because I'm a loving, caring husband, I'm going to go duck down to the streets just down the road from the hospital, and I'm going to go buy her some socks, Every bloke goes, that's a great idea. Every wife goes, how could you? <laughs> I'm a guy, so let's just guys. Okay, so, so I ducked down the street, and what made that moment even more joyful is I walked into the shops, I saw some friends. And I know this is going to shock you all. Guess what I did? Hey, what's going on? Hey, how you doing? Yeah, oh, great. Yeah, how's your week been? Mine's been great. Yours been good. That's fantastic. Awesome. Yeah, great, great, great. So we started a conversation. At one point, they asked the question, so Dave, what are you doing? I said, well, Shadi's in labor. And they looked at me very confused. I said, what are you doing here? Getting some socks and having a conversation. Isn't that obvious, people? So I, you know, I said, well, I'm getting some socks for Shadi because her feet are cold. They said, you should probably go back to the hospital. At that moment, I thought, actually, it's, I probably should get back to the hospital too. So I, I rushed back up the hill. Yeah, see, Shadi's agreeing with everything I say. <laughs> no stretch of the story yet. So I remember running up the hill, running into the hospital, running into the room, and presenting my wife with some socks. She was sort of excited about them, mostly not really excited. But I want to clarify something. 
I was there for the actual birth of my daughter. And look, I have proof. So I've got three photos. Hey, look at that. That is exactly what I used to look like. Look, look, look. Actually, we're supposed to be looking at the baby. There is Allegra, newborn. There is me washing, newborn Allegra. And most importantly, here is me introducing Allegra to cricket. That is in the birthing suite in our hospital, just after Allegra's been born. And I'm like, hey, hey, Allegra, this is the cricket. We're going to have many moments like this in the future to come. I remember that moment just like it was yesterday. I remember walking into the hospital that moment with a degree of expectation, but I remember walking into the hospital that morning with a degree of excitement as well, and also some degree I was a little bit scared. You see, I, as I reflected on that morning, as I stood watching Shadi give birth, and I remember holding our little baby girl and cutting the umbilical cord, which FI was not what I thought cutting umbilical cord was like. And I remember that moment of holding Allegra in my arms. And I remember thinking, man, if I could barely make it here to your birth, how am I going to raise you? I mean, how am I going to raise, how, how am I going to face teenage years with all of the hormones and the everything else? I mean, how am I going to face those, those, how am I going to face those moments when you bring a boy home? I mean, where am I going to bury the bodies of those boys? No, no. no like, I remember thinking to myself, you know, if I could only just make it here for my daughter's birth, then am I going to be the husband, not the husband, but the father that she needs to be? Am I going to be the godly man and the godly dad that she's going to want to look up to? See, we all face fears and challenges. And, And aren't you glad that the Bible tells us all about them? Aren't you glad that the Bible doesn't just kind of leave out the messy parts of the story? That the Bible doesn't just kind of leave the, 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 the hard stuff and just portray everything as warm and fuzzy and on the up and the up. See, I love the Bible let it because it shares everything and in, in an attempt to encourage us. See, the, the word encourage simply means to give courage. So this morning, God wants to encourage to encourage you that no matter what's going on, He is with you. But before we jump into the psalm we're going to look at this morning, I want to paint a little bit of the picture of what's kind of happening for, for Israel at this particular moment when this, this psalm was written. They, they'd been invaded by the armies of Babylon and, and their holy city, Jerusalem, had been destroyed. And at night, the, the night sky would be light up, would be lit up by all the fires that were ravaging and finishing off the destruction of Jerusalem. And the beautiful temple that, that King uh, Solomon had spent 46 years trying to build now laid in ruins. It had been, had been raided, been desecrated, and had been destroyed. And the once proud nation of Israel now finds themselves chained, they're slaves, and they're in a foreign country. So that's what's going on as we begin the, reading the words this morning from Psalm 137. So Psalm 137 goes like this. Beside the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept as we thought about Jerusalem. We put away our harps, hanging them on the branches of the poplar trees. For our captors demanded a song from us. Our tormentors insisted on a joyful hymn. 
sing us one of those songs of Jerusalem. But how can we sing a song to the Lord while in a pagan land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget how to play the harp. May my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I fail to remember you. If I don't make Jerusalem my greatest joy. See, the the nation of Israel was known throughout the world for their beautiful and amazing songs of worship to their God. The the nation of Israel was known for their their gift of music and, and how they would worship God through that gift. But they now found themselves conquered and slaved. And instead of singing songs of worship to God, they found themselves in chains and captive and forced to listen to the taunts and the ridicules of the captive. See, the Babylonians would, would tease them and mock them with a cruel request. See, yesterday, uh, our middle son, Reuben, started his, uh, had his first game for a brand new cricket club. And it so happened that his first game for his new cricket club was against his old cricket club. And so as we turned up, Reuben began to point and go, I know that kid, and I've seen that shirt. And Reuben began, I could see on Reuben's face as he went, oh, because he knew what would happen. And as he walked up, friend or former friend, now arch enemy, after arch enemy, would ridicule and tease him because he was now on the opposition. See, Reuben that day was faced with taunts and ridicules. The reality was they were nothing like what Israel was facing at that particular moment of time. And see, the, 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 these Babylonian guards and, and conquerors would, would tease them and say, sing us one of those great songs to Jerusalem. They would mock them and they would tease them and they would spit in their face. And See, this wasn't just any city that they were talking about. This was their, their, their religious capital. This is where the temple where they would come from all over the nation of Israel to come to gather, to worship together. This wasn't just any particular old place, but this was their most sacred city, Jerusalem. And so the Babylonians would mock them and they would rub their nose in the fact that they had conquered them and destroyed their city and their hopes and their dreams. But the people of God replied with a question. And it wasn't, I, I kind of looked at it and went, I don't reckon it's a question per se to, to, their, to their captains, the Babylonians, but it was more of a, a statement or a question of themselves. See, the question was simply, how do we sing a song to the Lord in the midst of a strange land? And let me explain something to you. Let me explain it to you. See, God's people found themselves at one of their lowest points in all of their history. See, up until that point, there was, up until that point, and at this moment, there was no hope for them. They found themselves in the middle of slavery. They found themselves with where, where they, where they, where they, where their city, their holy city, and their temple had been destroyed. They were dragged off and put in chains to no doubt think that they would never, ever, ever go back to there again. And they would, they would die in captivity and slavery. And I tell you what, as I read it, I thought being a parent of teenagers was hard. But I love what God says to them. I love what God says in the midst of their dark places where they think there is no hope. He reminds them that there's a message of hope in the middle of their chaos. 
See, Israel was faced with two challenges. Two challenges that, that I still reckon we're faced with today. And maybe it's going to be this week, maybe it's going to be next month, maybe it's going to be at some point this year. But I can guarantee every one of us are going to face with, to, to succumb or to give in to these two challenges, just like the nation of Israel was. Israel was faced and had to learn to embrace two thoughts. Two thoughts, and in the middle of all the challenges and the hopelessness they faced, two things they had to remember, and they were simply this. Don't stop praising God. See, verse 2, the psalmist writes, But we put away our harps, and we hung them on the branches of the poplar tree. See, the psalmist here paints this picture of a, of a group of Jewish people in their despair, gathering along the, 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 the waters, the banks of a river, and there's these poplar trees, and as, as tears begin to stream down their faces, they realize the desperation, or the desperate situation they were in. In those moments, they began to hang up their harps and put away their praise. See, hanging up their heart, they... They hung up their worship. They, they put down their praise because for them, they recognized at that particular moment, there was nothing to worship. There was no joy and there was no hope. And to make it worse, the Babylonians are standing nearby and they're mocking and they're teasing them and saying, now where is your God? See, the devil tries to shut our mouths to praise God, and he often does so with discouragement, doesn't he? But I want us to notice something this morning. I mean, imagine for a moment, imagine for a moment if your phone beeped in church and, and you were that person who forgot to put your phone on silent, which may have been me in the middle of worship, but that's fine. You know, and, and, and imagine that moment, your phone goes off to tell you that your house, you know, it's one of your neighbors and has just told you that your house is burning down. What do you run home? You jump, you run out of here, get in your car, race home. What is a couple of things that you might run in and grab? You know, you might grab some jewelry. You might grab some photos or a device that contains your photos. Maybe you grab your dog. Maybe you grab your favorite child. I mean, all of your children. Maybe you grab a goldfish, if you had a goldfish. Or maybe if you're practical like my wife, as I asked her this question last night, she said, I would grab some clothes. Because that makes sense, because everything burns down, you've got no clothes. So, she, so my wife grabs the clothes, and, or if you like my kids, they grab their PS4. That's all I want. They just want to grab their PS4, and then we're done. We're good. We don't need clothes. We're good. A PS4, we're fine. See, of all the things that the Jews grabbed, in a moment where, they, where their homes, the doors were kicked in, and everything changed, in a moment where they, were, they realized they were running, they were being captive and taken into slavery, what was the one thing that they took, they grabbed their harps. But now they're in Babylon. Now they're in captivity. Now they're in slavery. They're chained to each other and they're being beaten and, and, and killed. And they're being insulted daily. But notice that they still had their harps. Notice that they didn't destroy their harps, but notice they didn't, they didn't throw them away. But notice in this moment, they hung up their harps. 
And I wonder if they hung up their hearts. I wonder if they, they carried their hearts because they dreamed in the, in the back of their mind that they hoped one day that even though their cities and their, and their temple and their houses had been obliterated and destroyed and they found themselves in captivity, that they, that they held on to a flicker of hope that one day, one day, they might be able to praise their God in freedom once again, that no matter what was coming against them, that one day there would be a day that, 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 that they could be free, that they could be back in their homes, that they could be with their loved ones, that they held on to the promise, they, hold, they held on to God and said, God, we pray and we hope for a new day. Have you ever felt like the last thing you want to do is worship? I mean, probably, let me be honest for a second and talk to the guys. Probably one of our greatest challenges is guys is singing, unless they're at the football. Then it's fine. But let's be honest, probably most guys, including I, singing is not our natural go-to. You know, for, for some of us, ladies included, maybe that's maybe that is our challenge. You know what? We we feel like we don't have a we don't feel like we have a bad voice. We feel like if we sing, then people are gonna turn around and look at us badly. I think that every Sunday. That's why I sit in front of Pete Karangis, because Pete loves me and and he, we, we have had that. No, we haven't had that conversation. And, and, but see, we can often feel like that we can't praise. We're just not wired that way. But there is times in life. In fact, there is, there is moments in life. In fact, there is Sundays in life. In fact, there is a lot of life where what we don't want to do is what we need to do. My kids don't want to eat vegetables, but they need to eat their vegetables. You know, my kids don't always want to turn off their TV or the PlayStation, but they need to turn that TV and PlayStation off. See, we don't always want to worship God, but the one thing that we should do is worship God. But we know that it can feel so unnatural. We, we, can, we, can, we can struggle in it. And so the one thing that the nation of Israel understood if we're going to be people who, <coughs> excuse me, if we're going to be people who, who don't stop praising, one of the things that we've got to do is we've got to remember why we praise. In verse 4, some four uh, 5 and 6, it says this, if, if I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget how to play the harp. May my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I fail to remember you. If I don't make Jerusalem my greatest joy. See, in the midst of the calamity and the chaos that, that the Israelite people were, were going through, the one thing that they did was that they remembered. You know, there's one credit point that we've got to give to, to Israel, that in the midst of everything they were facing, they continued their vow to remember Jerusalem. They continued their vow to remember. But this was the problem. The problem was they've forgotten the wrong they were, sorry, they were remembering the wrong thing. The problem was they were remembering the wrong thing. See, they were remembering Jerusalem, but they'd forgotten their God. 
And that is what got them into this situation in the first place. See, they'd forgotten the one who, who got them out of slavery in Egypt first time round. They'd forgotten the one that had got them through the Red Sea unscathed and unharmed. He was the one that, that got them through the wilderness. He was the one that, that got them through all of the challenges and over into the promised land. He was the one and they'd forgotten God, but they had remembered Jerusalem. And see, that now they were in captivity because they refused to remember their covenant relationship with their God. And they'd refused to put God first. Why is it so important that we remember why we praise God? If I was to ask you a question, what do you remember of 2020? Probably most of us would go to the, I remember the lockdowns and the isolation and I remember, remember all of the things that happened around 2020. See, what we do is we normally go to, we often go to the hard times. So often we, we go to these hard times and we let these hard times steal away our praise. We let these hard times steal away our joy. We let these hard times steal away our hope. This morning I'm we're going to hear from an amazing lady in our church, Adele. So, Adele, if you want to come up. Adele's going to share a little bit of her story over the last three years of, of what God's done in her life. As she's allowed God to do some work. So, Adele, over to you. Coming. Coming? All right. Um, okay, if you don't know me, my name's Adele, not the singer, cannot sing. Um, I'm a mum to five children that range from 31 years old down to 20. Um, I have a granddaughter who's about to turn one next week, and I had a grandson 11 days ago who was born on my 50th birthday. So, life's good. <laughs> um, I doubt anyone could have been as excited as me um, about turning 50. It was nothing to do with my age, but the fact that three years ago I promised myself as I walked into a very dark season that by 50 I was going to have my life on a good trajectory. I never actually expected that I wouldn't just be on a good trajectory, but the most content, joyful and peaceful that I've been in my life. So turning 50 was great. Ironically, yesterday was the 28th of January. Um, yesterday I, was, I should have been married for 28 years, but I wasn't. Um, this time three years ago, I was on a cruise with my husband, and um, I remember as the boat was coming back to Brisbane in the harbour, um, there wasn't any celebrating going on, and he came to look for me about 1am, and I could see Hussus up there looking at the lights, and I remember turning to him and saying, I can't do this anymore. Um, and we were about to move to Sydney, so I'd given up my job, um, and he continued to move there. Truth is, you don't leave 25 years of marriage on a win. Um, rather, it was years and years of great difficulty, which resulted in extreme burnout and chaos in my life. Um, wasn't a good time to leave your husband. It was 2020. Um, just giving up your job, completely depleted, depleted and burnt out, and COVID locked us down. Like the Israelites, I spent a lot of time weeping, weeping for my future, weeping for the loss of my family unit, weeping because I couldn't find a job, and I had very limited access to help as I'm not an Australian citizen. There was no song of praise in my heart. 
just a deep-seated grief for what was, what should have been, and a sadness for who I had become and fear of an unknown future. I didn't have a lot to say to God over this time as the guilt kept settling around me like a cloud. There was no praise for him. There was just questions, just wishing life could have been different, wishing I could have known kindness, respect, and love in my marriage, and trying to come to terms with what ending a marriage meant for me and my children. But God looked down and he saw me. He saw my shame, he saw my pain, and he also saw my potential. He was incredibly gentle with me and infinitely kind. He provided me with a casual job and a beautiful friend to share my struggles. My problem was that as I started to seek God again, the guilt would wrap itself tighter and tighter around me. I tried a couple more times to make my marriage work, but it became obvious that this was not the right step. Now, I 100% believe in marriage. I believe in fighting and working through problems, but sometimes this just doesn't happen. At this time, along came someone we'll call Mr. Inappropriate. Um, He was a Christian husband, a father. He worked for a Christian organization, and he repeatedly asked me to have an inappropriate relationship with him. I didn't need any man being inappropriate at that time, and here was a Christian man who was reinforcing my belief that you can't trust anyone, definitely not Christians, and definitely not God. So I walked away. I wanted nothing to do with God and certainly nothing to do with men. I found some pretty unhealthy coping mechanisms and escapisms from God for the next few months as I gave up ever going back to church or acknowledging God in my life. But God didn't give up on me and he wouldn't let me go. Two years ago, I set foot in these doors and that was the first bit of hope I felt in a long time. Even though I was lost and broken, God knew that somewhere deep inside my heart, it was still beating for him. A few months later, he set me in a new role within Gateway. He didn't tell me that pastors and finances don't go together, but anyway. (laughs) Love you, Dave. Um, (laughs) I can count sometimes. (laughs) Um, We had quite a long history with Gateway, and I remember my children saying to me, but mum, why Gateway? Why would you go back there and work? And the only answer I had was I knew it was God and I knew it was part of my healing journey. I just didn't realize how important it would be. There was still very little praise on my lips as I battled through going to our counseling center every couple of weeks to work through and process all that was going on. But I knew God was there. I remember him being so gentle. He met me at every turn. While selling houses to finding a place to buy in the craziness of um, the times that have been, Bit by bit and piece by piece, the healing came and I started to find my way again. I kept, I could see a new season and I kept looking to God, waiting for his timing. There was a lot of waiting in that season. It was a lot of waiting and trusting and healing in the process. The process was an active process. Healing would never come unless I was prepared to embrace each and every situation and work through it to become the person God wanted me to be. When my divorce was finalized almost a year ago, there was what I can only describe as a huge spiritual release. It was like a cloud was lifted and I was suddenly in this new world. From that moment on, I would tell my life, my children, that life was an absolute buffet of fun and I embraced every moment of it. I could tell you story after story of how God healed me, of how he showed his love for me, of how he brought me through the toughest seasons in my life in ways I couldn't have dreamed or imagined. Interestingly, last year, Mr. Inappropriate was diagnosed with stage four cancer. 
As a friend of mine who works with him told me he was in a really dark place, I felt led to email him. I could tell him that he was not being punished for anything he'd said or done, that God doesn't work like that. He is gentle and kind. I could extend forgiveness to him and I could pray for him. I think he called me almost straight away because my email had brought him so much release and was exactly what he needed. Just as God had allowed me forgiveness and redemption, he also allowed me to be able to forgive and to care. He showed me that men aren't all bad and there's some that are even good. <laughs> some genuinely love God and seek to serve him and some genuinely love their wives. At the end of last year, I took a few days out to seek God for my next three years. As I asked him for words over my life for the next three years, one of the first words he gave me was the word beloved. I thought it was a bit strange and I asked him, why God do I need to be reminded that I'm loved? And I rem distinctly remember his whisper coming to me and saying, I will remind you until you believe it. When I was staying at the place I was staying at, there was a picture on the wall and it was a a lady in a bright red dress and she was looking out to the sea as the waves billowed and rolled and, and I'd keep on going up to that picture and I'd go, there's something for me in this picture and I couldn't figure it out until probably about an hour before I leave. I was like, okay, God, you've got to tell me now. Um, and eventually the verse came from Proverbs. She's clothed with strength and dignity and she laughs without fear of the future. As I ask God for what the next three years will bring, I'm thankful I don't know the particulars, but I know that, and I know that I'm not much of a, spe a singer, but I will, sing, I will speak his praises over and over again. I'm healed and I'm whole. And whatever I face in this next few years, um, just as he turned my grief to joy and my anxiety to peace and my discontent to contentedness, I can walk forward strong in him and I can laugh without fear of what tomorrow brings. This isn't a story about divorce, it's a story about God's love. And I know if there's anyone here, if you're going through a dark season, just know that God is still there. He sees you, he hears your heart cry, even if it's covered by anger or shame or hurt. He's watching over you and he will be incredibly gentle. He won't let you go and he will pursue you. If you are with the Israelites and your song is bathed in sadness and loss, if you're willing to actively participate in the journey, God can and will also bring you into a season far beyond what you could have dreamed or imagined. Well done. <laughs> Adele, thank you for sharing your story with us. See, Adele's story and Israel's story had moments where they both wanted to hang up their harps in silence. They both wanted to hang up their harps in silence for a season. Because if you notice both of the stories, there's one thing in common, that they left the door ajar. That maybe, maybe there would be a moment where they would be able to worship again. And they remembered, and as they remembered, as Adele remembered, as Israel remembered, they learned the power of praising God is that it shifts the focus off our problems and onto our God. See, Viktor Frankl once said this, between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space, in our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. In other words, 
You can't choose your circumstances, but you can choose your response. See, regardless of your circumstances, regardless of, of Israel, Israel's circumstances, they remembered why they would praise their God. And they, they, they remembered that why they would praise their God. And it's important for us to remember why we praise our God. Because we've got a Savior who gave himself totally and undeservedly. Gave of himself on the cross at Calvary. He died a, 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 a sacrificial and substantiary death to cleanse us from our sins so that we could, we could be brought back into freedom that at the, from that moment there would be nothing that could separate us from, from, from us and from God because he did what we could do, he did what we could never do and he did it because he loves you. See, don't, we don't worship because we feel like it but we worship because our God is See, both Adele and Israel, and, and maybe you, maybe you in this moment, it was, certainly was for me at the back end of last year, had every reason to, to not want to praise God. See, Israel didn't want to praise God for a long season. Adele didn't want to praise God in the midst of her season. And I've been through, and we've been with you, no doubt you've been through, or maybe you're in a season where the last thing you want to do this morning is praise God. God. Maybe you feel like you've given up. You've hung up your harps. And you're allowing your circumstances to dictate and determine your praise. But I want to read the very next, or the beginning of the very next chapter that follows on from Psalm 137. Psalm 138 starts with this. I give you thanks, O Lord, with all of my heart. I will sing your praises before the gods. I, I bow before you in your holy temple as I worship. I praise your name for your unfailing love and faithfulness. For your promises are backed by the honor of your name. As soon as I pray, you answer me. You encourage me from my, by giving me strength. Though I am surrounded by troubles, you will protect me from the anger of my enemies. You reach out your hand, and the power of your right hand saves me. And the Lord will work out His plans for my life. For your faithfulness, Lord. O Lord, endures. Sixteen years ago, I remember driving to the hospital as we prepared to give birth to our first first daughter, Allegra. Excited and expectant, but parenting has taught me a couple of things. There is die. There is days when when I am filled with expectation and excitement, but there's also hard days. But I still love my daughter, and I still walk with her. And God still loves you. We hope you've been blessed by this message. 
If we can pray for you or you would like to take a further step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to connect with you. Please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au and click on Get Connected to let us know.